Welcome to our first week of what's going to be a five-week study of the book of Galatians in the New Testament. Galatians is one of the very earliest documents we have from the history of the church, one of the first written documents that became part of what we now call the New Testament. And Galatians is a foundational summary of the gospel, the good news, the message that defines who we are and gives us life as Christians. And Galatians as a letter, as a book in the New Testament, it's been beloved by Christians throughout the centuries. Many commentaries and series of sermons and studies have been written on Galatians. It strongly influenced some of the most important theologians throughout the history of the church. People like St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages, and of course, the Protestant reformer Martin Luther. Luther loved Galatians. In fact, at one point, he said of Galatians that it was his epistle, the epistle to which, he says, I have wedded myself. It is, and then he compares it to his wife, it is my Katerina von Bora. So for the next five weeks, we are going to look at this letter that so influenced people throughout the history of the church, that letter that Luther loved so much that he wedded himself to it. And this week, we're starting off, I'm entitling our lesson, The Gospel in Crisis. Galatians is, as I already mentioned, one of the earliest documents in the New Testament. We're not sure precisely when it was written. Scholars have suggested a variety of dates, somewhere between the year 46 AD and the year 61 AD. Most likely, Galatians was composed sometime in the middle of the 50s, which is significantly only two decades after the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, the first thing to note when you start reading the book of Galatians is the genre. What kind of book, what kind of text is this? And it's a letter, an epistle. And interestingly, you know, epistles, letters are actually the primary genre, the primary kind of literature that we find in the New Testament. Apart from gospels, there are four of those. We have the book of Acts, we have an apocalypse, and practically everything else in the New Testament takes the form of a letter. And Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul is credited with writing 13 different letters in the New Testament, far more than anyone else. And a lot of his letters share similar themes, but there's something particular that stands out about Galatians. Of all of Paul's 13 letters, none are more passionate, more urgent, and you could say more angry in tone than this letter, the book of Galatians. John Chrysostom, who is a fourth century church father and famous preacher, in his commentary on this book, he noted at the very beginning, he says, now that this epistle breathes an indignant spirit is obvious to everyone on the first perusal. It's hard to miss Paul's anger when you read this. 
I like how Timothy George, the Baptist theologian who wrote a commentary on this, I like how Timothy George puts it when he says, from beginning to end, Galatians 6 chapters of 149 verses bristle with passion, sarcasm, and anger. True, there is the touch of tenderness, though this was the tearing tenderness of a distraught mother who must endure all over again the pains of childbirth because her children, who should have known better, were in danger of committing spiritual suicide. The passion and sarcasm, the urgency and the anger that Timothy George is referring to here, it's pretty clear right from the very beginning in Galatians. In ancient letter writing, there's a kind of convention of how you go about writing a letter, much like we use today. We start our letters with dear so-and-so, and then we begin with some form of greeting, usually followed by some kind of nice, polite remark to build a relationship with the person. And then if you have something that needs to be discussed, that comes after, after you've already sort of built rapport. And ancient letters were very similar. There was a very common, accepted way that a letter should be written. And this letter, just like a lot of ancient letters, it wasn't written to a one person and meant to be read purely in private. Paul here is writing a letter to the churches in this region, Galatia, and the letter will be read publicly. And so the speech will be heard by all as they're gathered together. This is Paul addressing them. And that's why it's so important to, to follow this form, this convention of being polite and kind in your rhetoric. And in most of his letters, Paul follows this same pattern very much. If you look at Letters like 1 Corinthians, or the letter of the Philippians, or 1 Thessalonians, in all of them, Paul begins the same way. He introduces himself as a writer. He names the people that he's writing to. He usually gives some kind of benediction, grace and peace to you. And then he follows it with a kind of greeting where he gives thanks for them, and he says kind things and recognizes what God is doing in their midst but Galatians is very different. And no doubt when the letter was first read to those churches in Galatia, when they gathered together and they were told that the apostle Paul had written them a letter and they gathered together to listen and they looked forward to hearing what kind words he would say after his benediction, what thanksgivings he would give of them. They were no doubt very surprised, maybe a bit shocked and offended at how Paul started his letter. Right after saying who he was and giving them a benediction, Paul immediately changes tone. Here's what he says in verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Instead of giving thanks for the Galatians, Paul begins his letter by calling them traitors. They are deserting Christ. He is astonished and flabbergasted at what they're doing. And this isn't the only time that Paul's anger and frustration comes out in the letter. You have in chapter three, in the very first verse, Paul begins by saying, "'O foolish Galatians, 
who has bewitched you? I like the translation of that by J.B. Phillips, the Anglican clergyman who translated the New Testament. And Phillips just translates that phrase, not, oh, foolish Galatians, but you dear idiots. And then you see Paul's frustration again on multiple occasions in chapter 4. In verse 9, he accuses the Galatians of wanting to turn back to slavery. In verse 11, Paul says that he fears he may have labored over them in vain. You have to remember, Paul was the one who first brought the gospel to these churches. He had spent time with them. He had developed his ministry among them. And now he tells them in his letter, I fear that my time was wasted with you. And then in verse 19, he says, I am in despair over you. The question is, why is Paul so upset? Why is his tone in this letter so harsh? What is the crisis that has caused Paul so much angst? And we find the answer in that verse that I already read, verse 6 from chapter 1. Paul says that the Galatians are turning from Christ, the one who called them, and they are turning to a different gospel. Now, Paul says almost immediately, it's not a real gospel. It's not truly good news like the gospel that Paul has to come to preach. It's a false gospel. It's a distortion of the gospel. Paul doesn't explain precisely what it was that the Galatians were turning to, but it becomes pretty clear throughout the letter that in his absence, there are some other leaders who have come into these churches in Galatia, other teachers. Paul has various titles that he uses for them. And they've begun to tell the Galatians, most of whom are Christians who are Greek and not Jewish by nature, that if they want to be truly Christian, if they want to be truly part of the saved, then they really need to adopt all of these extra Jewish laws and customs and that this is really the true gospel. Paul thinks, though, that what these teachers are telling the Galatians isn't just a mistake. It's not just something he disagrees with. It's not just something that might burden them with a requirement that isn't necessary. Paul thinks that the message of these teachers is actually a denial of the gospel itself. And that's what this letter is about. That's what Galatians is doing as a letter. Paul is clarifying once again, because he's already taught them this, but he's clarifying once again the good news, and he's denouncing what he sees as a dangerous rival message. Now, the question for us as we study this over the next five weeks is, why is this still important now? Why should we continue to read and study Galatians, to do as the prayer book says, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest its words and teachings? Well, it's because even though we don't live in this region, and even though we may not be influenced by the same teachings that the Galatians were, we still live in a world of rival gospels and distortions of the gospel. The New Testament 
in numerous places warns us about how easily it is to be led astray from the liberating and life-giving teaching of Jesus and to start changing it in subtle ways that distorts it or to start putting our hope and our trust in other kinds of messages, other ideologies, other promises and visions that might be appealing to us and abandoning the gospel. And that's why we have to continue to study it. And that's what we're going to be doing over these five lessons. Uh, this week, I want to focus on three points that Paul makes about the true gospel. What is the true gospel? How is it different from its rivals? Three points that he makes in this short section that follows his opening greetings. From chapter 1, verse 11, through chapter 2, verse 14, Paul begins to tell his own story. He kind of gives a, becomes autobiographical and he starts talking about his own history. And he's doing it in a way to relate something really important to the Galatians about the gospel itself. So there's three points I want to mention. The first is that the true gospel comes from God. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, or we might say brothers and sisters. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul puts great emphasis on the fact that as an apostle, the message that he has been given doesn't come from any kind of human authority or human discovery. He wasn't taught it by another person. He was taught by Christ himself, who remember when the apostle Paul, named Saul at the time, was persecuting the church, appeared to him, knocking him down and blinding him and revealing himself to Paul. And Paul tells us that Christ by the Spirit continued to teach him and that the message he has been given comes directly from God. This is important for us to remember because today we tend to look into a lot of different sources to find the answers to questions that are most pressing on us in moments of fear or anxiety or uncertainty, where is it that we look? Where do we put our trust? What kind of fundamental message or truth are we searching for? And for Paul, it was very important to say that the message that he has come to give the Galatians, that he gave them before and that he wants to remind them of now, this is not some result of academic research. This is not the insight of a wise sage, some great teacher that has nuggets to offer. This is not some kind of secret insider information that he can give them that's being hidden from them elsewhere. No, Paul is saying that his message comes not from some kind of human discovery, but from the revelation of God himself. And that's the first point that he makes about the true gospel. The true gospel comes from God. 
And the second point is this, the true gospel is in agreement with apostolic teaching. So right after this section where Paul emphasizes in chapter one, that the source of his message, that his gospel comes not from any human source, but from God himself. Right after that, in chapter two, he begins to talk about how he traveled to Jerusalem to meet with the other apostles who were there. And it's very clear from what he says that Paul doesn't think that he needs these other apostles to tell him that his message is true. He's already received it from Christ himself. But it is important for Paul, and it's important for him to tell the Galatians that when he does get to Jerusalem, that he is received by the other apostles, that they agree together. In verse 9 of chapter 2, he tells us that when James and Cephas, which is Peter, when James and Peter and John, those who seem to be the pillars of the church, when they perceive the grace, this message which was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas, Paul's, Paul's companion. They gave us their right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me. So it's very important for Paul that his gospel, which comes from directly from Christ, it's not some private message that's different from the teaching of the apostles who have also been taught by Christ. They share the same message. And this is, again, a really important point for us. Throughout the history of the church, there have arisen a wide variety of heresies. And this word heresy, we often think of it as a word that just means error, error in belief or in teaching, somehow a departure from orthodox, right Christian teaching. But in Greek, the word heresy actually is used to refer to a sect. It's a sect of people who choose to follow a certain teaching. But the word heresy carries a certain connotation. It's a group of people who have chosen to follow a teaching that departs from the rest of the group. And so heresies arise when teachers and influential Christian leaders begin to teach messages that aren't in accord with the teaching of the apostles. When they start to teach something new, something different, something in some way that departs from apostolic teaching. We have, as I said, a wide variety of these in the early church. Things like Marcionism, Gnosticism, Arianism, Pelagianism. All of these were departures from the teaching of the apostles that we find in the New Testament. But we also face heresies in our own day as well. Christian leaders are still faced with the temptation of taking the gospel and somehow shifting it to their own message instead of emphasizing their agreement with the teaching of the apostles. And that's one reason why we as Anglicans, why it's so important for us to to measure our teaching according to the creeds of the church. Every single week in worship, we say a creed, um, either right before or right after we hear the sermon, because we want to emphasize that the faith we have received, this faith that all Christians have agreed on, we continue to adhere to this. It's the reason why we value so much the history of the church and the great 
teachers and theologians and the councils and the creeds because we recognize that this is how the Holy Spirit has continued to lead the church and, and we want to be in agreement with the rest of Christians and with the teaching of the apostles because the true gospel agrees with apostolic teaching. So that's the second point. Uh, the third point that Paul makes is this. The true gospel can be denied through behavior. I think that this is a really important point to note because so far if we've tracked with what Paul's saying in Galatians, it appears that the true gospel is all about having right doctrine, right beliefs, teaching the right thing, believing the right thing. And, but on the other hand, Paul seems to show at the near the middle of chapter 2 in verses 11 through 14 that the gospel can be denied not only just by having the wrong beliefs, but by actually living or behaving in a way that contradicts the gospel. So in chapter 2, verses 11, 14, Paul tells the Galatians, he reminds them about a time in which Peter, the apostle Peter, came to Antioch. And he says that when Peter was at Antioch, that at first he was eating with both Jews and Greeks, both with those who were circumcised and those who were uncircumcised, recognizing the truth that the gospel had made them one people. But when these new teachers, when this other party, he calls it the party of the circumcised, when this party of Christians who thought that it was essential to remain Jewish and to only eat with those who follow Jewish law, when they arrived at Antioch, Paul says that Peter acted in hypocrisy. And in fact, it wasn't just Peter, that everyone, even Barnabas himself, his own companion, Paul says, was led astray. And in verse 14, he says that he saw that their conduct, the conduct of Peter and Barnabas, these great Christian leaders, their conduct, their way of life was not in step with the truth of the gospel. They were actually denying the gospel by the way they lived. Now, this is important, not just because it helps us recognize that not only what we believe, but how we behave are both essential aspects of holding to the gospel. It's also important to remember in our own time because in the last several decades, many of the disagreements that have so fundamentally divided Christians, divided churches, divided even denominations, have been disagreements not primarily over what they believe about the creeds or the great doctrines of the past, but disagreements over moral issues, fundamental disagreements about ethics, how we ought to live, how we ought to conduct ourselves in light of the gospel. And some Christians though, some Christians have said, well, those things shouldn't divide us. We can agree on the gospel. We can proclaim the same gospel. We can be one church and have the same message without agreeing on all these matters of ethical conduct or morals that divide us. And the question for us, so is this true? Well, as a matter of principle, it seems pretty clear that the Apostle Paul thinks no. Paul thinks that 
you can deny the gospel by the way you live. That the way you live, your conduct, your behavior, that this is inseparable from the gospel itself. And therefore, that this really can be a church dividing thing. So that's our lesson for this week. Paul writes his letter to the Galatians at a time of crisis. He is afraid that he may have wasted his time with them. They are abandoning Christ. They are becoming traitors to the one who called them, turning to this rival gospel. And this is a danger that continues to confront us today. And today we looked at how Paul makes clear in this little autobiographical section of chapter 1, verse 11 through chapter 2, verse 14, that the true gospel is not a message that comes from any human being, but comes from God. That the true gospel is in harmony with the teaching of the apostles, the faith that has been handed down to us, and that the true gospel can be denied through our behavior. Over the next four sessions, we'll continue to unpack these themes, and we'll continue to ask and try to answer these questions. Questions like, what is the gospel? So far, I've been using this word a lot, but over the next sessions, we will unpack that more and more through the book of Galatians. What does Paul actually think the gospel is? How is it compromised? And how do we remain faithful today? I look forward to joining with you in the next session as we continue to explore these themes.